right, folks. Welcome to the Edge Appearance Podcast. We are live today with some medical professionals. Uh, let's do a, a round the horn. Amy, we'll start with you. Good morning. Amy LaMonaco. I'm a critical care registered nurse, 20 years, uh, currently a director of nursing for critical care, uh, Glen Cove Hospital, Northwell Health. Go Northwell. Yeah, go Northwell. Thanks for joining <laughs> us today. Uh, Kwame. All right. My name is Matt Kwame Darkwell. I'm a medical student in my third year. I attend Ross University um, at the moment, and I'm happy to be here with you guys, you know. Thank you, sir. Sounding all professional. I love it. Uh, Mueller. Hello, my name is uh, Mueller Pierre-Louis. I'm also a third-year medical student at Ross University School of Medicine. I'm from Queens, New York. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for joining us, sir. And then we have another uh, medical professional that will join us in a second. Uh, she's getting something. <laughs> um, but folks, let's jump right in because I, th I think this is very important and uh, we want to make sure that we're talking to the people. All right, so for a lay person, meaning that a person that doesn't know medical terminology, uh, mm -hmm. folks that are like me, right? Um, what, what are the dangers of, uh, can we break down the dangers of COVID-19 to the folks? Amy, go ahead. Yeah, you want to right. Sure. So I was really heavily in it. Our hospital is very closely located to a hotspot in Queens. So we saw a lot of patients. I think one of the biggest dangers I saw looking back was not having that early access to care. And that was very concerning. We found as time went on, people came into the hospital much later into the disease progression, meaning that they were at home trying to ride it out. They were afraid to go to the hospital. And by the time they got to us, they were just so sick. Um, like any virus, there really is no cure. There's no medicine that we can give to treat it. We've tried a lot of different strategies, but it's managing those symptoms. And the sooner that you get tested and the sooner that you know that you have it, the better off you're going to be because you can self-isolate and manage those symptoms. So I think just really early, early recognition was one of the things I think um, we could have done better at looking back. And I think the sooner you know, the better equipped you'll be. Cool. And uh, for, um, for those that COVID COVID nineteen is a is a is um, an RNA virus. Um, it's a virus that basically infects your pulmonary or parenchyma and goes into your um, lungs and causes inflammation, causes um, an inflammatory or cytokine reaction. Um, they've been seeing lately, so it's a, it's pretty bad. Um, it's a pretty bad virus. And um, I would just say that as we uh, speak about the dangers per se, I, I believe that it's it's pretty dangerous because of the fact that we don't really have treatment other than having the, the body's immune system fight off the virus. So what makes this uh, disease very different from other things uh, like the flu, you know, is the fact that we don't have a vaccine available and we don't have like a consistent, adequate treatment that's effective enough that we can feel that if somebody came down with that virus, that we're confident that we can clear it. So I think like this, diseases to which we do not have treatment for, stopping the progression of it is, is very beneficial in saving lives, you know? Yeah. Um, Dr. Nas, welcome. 
Uh, I know you were having some technical issues, uh, but tell the folks who you are. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're, you're perfect. Can everybody hear me? Perfectly. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hello, my name is Nadia Monday. <laughs> my name is Nadia Monday. I'm an MD, and I'm currently at Georgetown um, University getting my master's in policy management. Um, do you guys, where did you guys go into just now? Did you guys go into Talking about COVID? Yeah. Yep. Can okay. So just describing COVID. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's just a little weird. Okay. Okay. We'll come back to you. COVID. Okay, go ahead. All right. So next question for folks. Uh the first cases were presumed in early January. Is this true from what you guys have seen? I think it's hard to say with certainty. I think there's a lot of uh, people that look back anecdotally and had some of the symptoms like unexplained fevers and respiratory illnesses that they may have chalked up to just being flu-like symptoms. But I mean, uh, guys, correct me if you've seen, but I haven't seen any research studies that say definitively that that was probably it because we weren't testing at that point. But I think it's, it's probably suspect to be true. I can agree with you on that. I think that um, it probably started a little bit earlier. Remember, there was a time period where um, people were coming in um, complaining of respiratory problems that they were having, and they were saying that it had to do with the vaping. And it's a possibility we weren't testing for COVID, but there is a possibility that maybe it was stemming that these were um, COVID symptoms at the time, and it probably was not from the vaping. So because we didn't do any testing, this is a novel virus. I think that's uh, the problem where, as far as how far back that we can trace it to see where it actually started. And uh, the, the first case was reported on December 31st uh, in Wuhan, which is why it's, it's called COVID-19 and not COVID-20. And um, we can always kind of assume that if it was documented, as early as December, then the, it, the presence was probably already there before that they picked up on it. So I definitely believe, especially with the way that people travel between countries, that there probably were cases early in January. But normally with the numbers, as you see a rise in cases, that also correlates with the rise in testing, you know, and the rise with actually having that disease actually pretty much under observation. So. I truly, I do believe that there were probably cases in January. We just didn't know about it. I, I, I agree. Um, it's it's funny because you know we, we're thinking about the first case. I'm thinking when is the last case going to be? Um, and we don't know. You know, I'm not sure unless we test every single person. We don't know when the last case is going to be. Um, so as far as you know, saying to be you know definite that. The first case might have been in January. I'm not too sure. It could have been before that. We just weren't, you know, testing, as um, Dr. Monday said. All right. So, and we also have to. Sorry, I just want yeah, to jump I, in. We also have to think um, how you're saying when is the last case going to be? There may never be a last case. You know, just like um, the flu when it came up. You know, it mutates every year, and that's why we take these vaccines. So, I think that's why it is going to be important to get a vaccine so that we can try to control it, even though we may not be able to end the spread of it. Cool. 
Thanks for that. So for the black community, uh, for you guys that are members of it, uh, you know that we don't trust you. We don't trust nobody. And so <laughs> should, we, should we be trusting the CDC and the things that they're saying? It's a hot question. I'm going to let Dr. Bundy yeah. take that. <laughs> well, I think that we do need uh, a platform where we can um, be able to follow. Um, we do need information. Um, as far as um, all the information that we can trust from it, I think that we have to, um, as people in the medical world, in the medical field, um, we're going to be the first people getting the data. And, you know, we are the data that we are giving to um, the CDC. So I think that um, we just have to be careful to take everything um how do I say this? We just have to be careful with everything that is being said to us. Um, obviously, in the beginning, remember a lot of people in the, especially in the black community, they were saying, oh, COVID can't affect us. Oh, it's not affecting the black people. It's not affecting kids. Yeah. And that has turned around very quickly where we, the, we, the black community itself has been affected more than any other community. Yeah. So I think that we have to take it with a grain of salt. Be careful with all the information. Just because it's given to you, you can't necessarily um, trust it 100%. And like I said, it's novel. We're learning every day from this disease. So right. that's my take on that. So it's funny. Oh. A great segue. Mila, go, Mila, go ahead. Oh, no. Um, because I was going to say that I think it's actually very important that us uh, who are in the community are actually doing our due diligence to the field by vetting that information, you see? So it's like in the in the medical fields, we practice evidence-based medicine, right? So the CDC guidelines, if you if you go down to the to the bottom of the pages on the CDC, they normally have the studies and like the analysis as to which this these the information comes from because it has to be evidence-based. So I know that a lot of times like people have distrust in certain government like uh, programs and, and things. But I think that people should listen to their physicians and physicians should do their due diligence in making sure that the material that's provided by the CDC is actually based off of evidence. And that's why we have like, we, we take all these courses in biostatistics, you know, and epidemiology to kind of vet that information. So I would tell people like, listen to your physicians, you know? If you don't trust the CDC, at least trust your doctor. And that's why it's important that physicians actually practice evidence-based medicine and are kind of fact-checking the things that are provided by the CDC. You nailed it, Mila. I can't, I can't agree more. <laughs> if you don't trust the CDC, at least trust the physician because they are the ones that are in your face taking care of you, making sure that they keep the rapport with you. You know, so yeah. yeah. All right. So excellent segue. Um, so the data on disease states it affects uh blacks, Latinx, and uh senior citizens at alarming rates. Why? Why is this yeah, go ahead, Mule. All right. Um, because these were you know, these were statistics that I always kind of wondered as well. So I made sure that I brought them so that you know everybody can have an understanding just based off of numbers, right? So Data shows that uh, 
blacks are when they have COVID are more likely to be hospitalized, right? And the the death rates are 92 per 100,000 for blacks, 74 per 100,000 for Hispanics, 45 per 100,000 for whites, and 34.5 uh, per 100,000 for Asians. We they found that there's a uh, a lot of factors uh, that have to do with why the minorities are predisposed towards uh, catching this virus. When you talk about, talk about living conditions, uh, they normally uh, live in more densely populated areas. Uh, there's more uh, residential segregation, which is normally lead to like adverse outcomes and like underlying health con um, conditions within those areas. Um, they're normally farther away from grocery stores and medical facilities, which caused them to not be able to stock up on food and supplies as much as other people and also get access to healthcare when they were sick. There's multi-generational households. So when you have so many generations of family members living within the same household, it's harder to protect the elderly and those who are more susceptible to the virus which leads to, that, to those problems. Also, if you look at the numbers, the over-representation of Blacks in the in the prisons and the jails and things like that also kind of skews those numbers, right? Also, we have to talk about workers, the essential workers. We know that nearly one fourth of all employed essential workers are black and Hispanic. Um, but besides that, is that 17% of all essential workers are Hispanic, but they make up 53% of the agricultural workers. And even though 12% of the employed essential workers are black, they make up 30% of like the licensed nurses. So I think these are the kind of, so they, they pretty much these people are like extra frontline in of the frontline workers. And I feel like all these things play a factor into not only exposure, but also in terms of the severity of the outcomes. And then that's all I'll say for now. Um, and, and the, um, the, disturbing thing is even before you know covid um blacks and uh, latin americans and you know just minorities in general have always been at the fringes of whatever disease it was um so it's just that covid is um highlighting it even more um you know latinos are or hispanics are three times more to be uninsured and african americans are two times um as likely to be uninsured um, compared to the, um, their Caucasian counterparts. And that has a huge effect on, you know, whether you go to the hospital or not. Um, for example, for that, for that person coming from South America or um, the Hispanic, they're worried whether, you know, whether the hospital will kind of use this situation to kind of try to find out more about them or try to see if they might be deported. So, you know, we have, as as a as a minority community, we have like the fear that if I go to the hospital, they might find out something about me that could get me in trouble. You know, so that I think has a, has a lot to do with why um, the disease also affects us as well at an alarming rate, um, as well with the statistics that um, Mueller brought and the resources we have available to us. Yo, Mueller came up. Mueller came up and hit a. Yeah, yeah, Mueller. I got time. I got time for it. Mueller is about the shits today. That's what I'm talking. about. All right, so Dr. Nas, 
I think that um, what both of you guys said uh, is correct. Our inf There's a problem with the infrastructure. So before, um, right before um, COVID, I was doing my mentorship at Coney Island Hospital and we already had problems at that site. One of the problems are transportation, as you um, noted before. Most people can't even get to this hospital. People, it's a high immigrant population in that area. So a lot of people, especially in this atmosphere, they are afraid to go to the hospital because they're not sure, okay, what's gonna happen with my status in this country if they if they do go. Also, I remember um, this had hit me hard. It was with um, when Chris Cuomo actually had, um, um, he was diagnosed with coronavirus. And he said, you know, I'm staying away from my family. I'm downstairs. We don't have that. You know, we're going to have to stay in the same bedroom or probably stay. OK, you stay in this corner, but we're still going to have to share the same bathrooms. We're going to share the same kitchens. So our risk of passing it to each other is still going to be high. Um, going out there, working on the front line of the front line, like you said, Mueller, we still have to take the train to get to work. We don't have that, um, you know, have it where, oh, I could just um, drive my car to work or or what have you. And you see how long it took the just the, the system for the, the trains to get cleaned. You see what it took for the trains to get cleaned. Um, but we still have to stand next to each other. I can't, um, you know, go uh, stand six feet apart from somebody in my family, probably. I got to take care of my kids. Um, as far as with the groceries, I may not have enough money to stock up. So I'm not going outside and, and putting myself at risk. So we do tend to live in more dense areas and it is harder for us not to um uh to to go with the guidelines that they say to stay six feet apart or even supplies we didn't have masks you know people started making masks people didn't even have masks that they can try to protect themselves so i i think that there is a lot of stuff um financially structurally um that puts us at risk right now aim jump in yeah i agree with all of that you know uh, particularly when i talked earlier about early access to care um i saw a lot of particularly undocumented such as people that would come in very late in the disease progression because they were fearful to come to the hospital um same thing when we talk about population density you have multi-generational families living together um, and a lot of these Latinx families, there's multiple people in the, in the household. And, you know, like, um, like the doctor said, you can't, they can't separate from one another. They can't say, okay, I'm just going to stay in my room. They're all on top of each other. And, you know, I don't know that there's been any research done on if their disease seems to be worse because of that increased exposure amongst one another. But uh, that early access to care, again, I think was key and it's not always possible. Yeah, aim. Talk that Ivy League shit. All right. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, and, and um, the last thing I would say, because um, I think this is one of the things that a lot of times healthcare uh, workers don't like to really address is like the fact the distrust between the community and the medical the medical field. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people in the community feel like when they come into the hospital, they don't know if they if they're going to get adequate treatment, you know? It's kind of the reason why people stay away from dentists, people stay away from doctors. It's that fear, you know, that fear of dying. People believe that death comes sooner the closer you get to the hospital, you know? So I think when you can actually form a rapport 
with patients in the community, you know, and you can kind of build that trust that we're going to work together. And just by being admitted doesn't mean that like you're pretty, like you're going to die. I think that you can kind of start to foster a relationship that gets people to take care of these underlying conditions that they have before we get to a pandemic or a disease like this that makes them more susceptible. You know, it's like building that, that, that good health, you know, it's like prophylaxis, like bye-bye. By building that trust, we can kind of take care in their health so that when we get to things like this, like a disease like this doesn't run rampant through the community. Bro, you might, you, yo, you, right now you are interviewing to be my primary care physician. And so, <laughs> you, yo, you doing all right, man. I, I mean, I'm not trying to come all the way out to Queens or whatever. So you'd have to move out to Long Island, but we'll figure it out. All right. So, uh, next question we got, man, for uh, because you know, Black Lives Matters. Mm-hmm. All right, and like right now, a lot of Black folks are out protesting and doing all these things, and I'm scared for them. I'm especially scared for the folks that have underlying health conditions that are out protesting. And so, do you guys think it's safe? Um, I, I'll go. Oh, oh, yeah, man, <laughs> it's, it's 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 tough because this has to be done. You know, this um, what 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 we're doing as a, a as a nation, um, it has to be done. Um, whether whether it's safe or not, I I don't think it's safe to you know to be out there and um, not wear a mask or not wear your your protective gear or um, whatever have you you know, and be out there in front of other people who you don't know, because obviously, you know, that's how you can, you can contract the disease, you know, it's a respiratory droplets. Um, they say six feet apart, but um, sometimes you need to take more precaution than that, because if someone coughs, spits, even if they're talking to you, um, those droplets can kind of fall into your respiratory tract, and there you go. So as far as it being safe, um, I'd say, you know, go ahead and have a, have a mask at least, um, you might not be able to stay away from, you know, the other protesters or, you know, stay six feet apart from each other, but, um, this, what we're doing has to be done. So even though it's not safe, um, to be out there without a mask, if you do feel any symptoms, just go ahead and do the 14 day quarantine and then get back out there and start protesting again, I'd say. So at the risk of losing your life, you are saying to me. Because I, I want to mm-hmm. hear it. I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. You were saying that at the risk of losing my life, that what's happening right now in the United States is that important. Well, I don't know if anybody wants to chime in with my time in, because you know. Because <laughs> I, I was going to say that if you it's, think it's about it. No, you can go. I was going to say. Oh, deference. I like that. <laughs> no, there we go. Um, <laughs> I would say this is for a bigger cause, right? Um, while we're out on the front lines, are there are we exposing ourselves? We absolutely are. Um, but we just need to take precautions. That's what I would say. Um, wear your mask. Um, you know, we're out there. There are people that, you know, they may not necessarily be marching, but they're handing out waters, they're handing out food to just get, um, get people to keep on going. So there is going to be an easy way for things to be transmitted. However, um, when you said um, while we're out there risking death, you know, when we go into surgery, when we go into the hospital for a simple procedure, 
whenever you have to sign a waiver, death is definitely in there. It is one of the things that you, this can happen. So, you know, while they're out there and they are fighting, take the precautions that you need to um, take. If you do feel symptoms, I will say, um, instead of possibly infecting everyone to go to stay home, go to, go to your doctor to get checked, get tested. Um, but I, this is a bigger cause. So I cannot tell anyone not to go out there, but this is something that we do have to worry about. And I think as healthcare workers, we need to be prepared um, in case there is a flood and there is a high chance of there being a flood of people coming into the hospital with symptoms, right? Yeah. But I think that we are better prepared than we were when the pandemic first started. That's what I will say. Better I mean, prepared, only, not if we are up. exactly prepared for what can happen. I, listen, you can only go up. We started in a really bad situation where there was no, <laughs> there was nothing. So, Aim, jump in here. What, what do you think about, uh, you know, I want to hear your perspective. Uh, yeah, I think I think it is important. This is a, a time where we need to get our voices heard, particularly people who look like me. I think we need to be out there and we need to be showing solidarity for, you know, our brothers and sisters because we're all human. Personally, I would take that risk. Wear your mask, wash your hands when possible, don't touch your face. But, um, you know, if I'm willing to risk my life, so to speak, by going to the grocery store or I'm complaining about the nail salon or my hair, then by all means, if I feel so moved, then I think that it's a risk worth taking. But each individual has to evaluate their own health and whether or not it's a risk they can take. I dig it. Um, yeah, I need to get my hair done, too. But that doesn't... <laughs> Well, here you got which one? Which one's your beard? <laughs> I mean, I'm about to risk my life to do it, but I, I, I get it, and I'm and I'm and this 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 conversation is very important. All right, so uh, folks in the audience, if you have specific questions that you want to ask these medical professions medical professionals about COVID nineteen, please make sure that you are putting them in the comments. We'll get to them in a second. Um. So what is what is your advice to, to the people that think that COVID is a game? Because we see that it's not. And uh, you guys alluded to it earlier when, you know, uh, the initial premise in the black community was, oh, I can't get COVID. I'm black or whatever. Uh, what's your advice to these folks? Um, I would say that people who think that COVID is a game, I, th I think that that's honestly a, a privilege, you know, privilege to, to not to. Is the aspect of like not believing what you don't see, and the fact that until you've seen like the the countless patients who are affected by COVID, it's hard to understand the severity of it. But I would say it's it's kind of like everything that there is in life. Like look at uh, police brutality, right? Police brutality has not been getting worse; it's just been televised, you know. So it took a while for people to actually start to truly believe once with every video that comes out. And granted, there's not countless videos of people in the hospital to show you the, the numbers of COVID. But I think it's one of those things of if wearing a mask and washing your hands is too much to ask to, to help save the life of another person, I think you really have to like evaluate your, your humanity because it, it's not a game, you know? It's like people can very well die from people's lack of social distancing and uh, 
taking precautions. Uh, Mueller the jeweler, move your camera down. I want to see like all of your face. I'll move it up. Yeah, there it is. There's, there's the big fella. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. Anybody else want to jump in on this? COVID is not a game. Well, I think it's obvious that COVID is not a game. Um, I think that we've seen the rise of people that have contracted disease, the people that have died. Um, people, um, I feel like the service that they did in the beginning was saying who can and who cannot get it when it was a novel virus. We did not know. And I think a lot of um, younger people took it for granted, going out, hanging out. Um, they have family members that are at home that are higher risk. They may have um, you know, different comorbidities like diabetes, hypertension, what have you. Um, you know, just being older, you're a little bit immunocompromised. Um, so I think that doing that, um, a lot of people took it, you know, took it for granted, ran out there, did whatever they wanted to do, and then they infected people. And I think that's what made the the, um, the rise of cases increase so much. And also the fact that in America, we, we have so much rights. So we're like, no, I don't want to stay home. I want to get my hair done. You know, get your hair done to go where? <laughs> you know, um, but I think that we, we need to take it seriously now, because even as we can see kids and they're comparing it to um, Kawasaki disease, um, they had no idea where these kids were getting these rashes, you know, and they were having some of the same symptoms. So I think that um, until they actually find out most of what they can find out about this disease, where things new things are not still popping up, I think that we need to still be very careful, wear our mask, you know, stay six feet apart. Um, if we do have loved ones at home that we can infect, then maybe you need to stay out if you if you want to go out, you know, find someone that they feel the same way and you guys can, I guess, infect each other, not infect um, other people that are taking the precautions, you know? <laughs> I feel it. All right, let's get to these comments. Let's see what people are talking about. Um, so uh, Annie says, are we still unsure if we can get this virus more than once? That's a great question. It was actually coming up. What are your thoughts on that? So I've heard of, um, I've heard of, you know, after you get the, you get the COVID um, disease, you have about two weeks of um, like resistance from the disease. So you can't catch it again. I'm not sure if they've done research on how long that those antibodies in your system um, last for, or, um, you know, how long it, it takes until they wear off. But I'm I I'm I don't know if you can get it again or not. I'm pretty sure you can. I don't see why not because after you your immune system builds its immune response, it might die off and then you can get the uh, virus again. Um, like Dr. Monday said, this is not something that might go away. You know, we might have to deal with it, just like the flu virus, where we we get vaccinations, you know, every year um, because the strains may mutate. You know, so we don't even you know. There's a lot that we don't know about this virus, whether we can get it again or not. Um, and right? I think uh, to add to that, what's interesting as we start to do antibody testing, we're finding that, you know, like myself, I was in, in it. I granted I had PPE, but I was antibody tested. I came back negative. My oh. secretary who didn't leave the office came to work, went right to the office, 
tested positive for antibodies and she, to her knowledge, didn't have the sickness. So if we're seeing patterns where some people are testing positive that haven't had it, had another employee who had it and didn't test positive for antibodies because she didn't, I guess, have it bad enough. So I think whether or not you can have it more than once is still up for debate and we just don't know. Um, currently, oh, sorry, yes. Um, currently we're, we're on, our, on the second strain of this actual uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. And not to bore you guys with too much you know, science that we have to go through uh, in medical school, but I think the difference has to do with, between like DNA viruses and like RNA viruses, you know? There's some diseases that once you have it once and you build an, an immunity towards it, mm -hmm. you have that immunity for pretty much for life, you know? But with RNA viruses, because they don't have the same like proofreading mechanisms for when they replicate, they acquire a lot of mutations. And that mutations causes those antibodies that we have to not necessarily be able to bind and to protect us. So right now I know we're already on the second strain that's been kind of running rampant through the world. So if you had, if you were immune, suppose you had gotten the virus for the first strain and you were immune to that and the virus mutated and now it's the second strain. That's part of the reasons why you may not test positive for the antibodies to the coronavirus the next time because you, they were not testing for that strain, but also that leaves you susceptible to that second strain. So I think people have to not look at this organism or this virus as just one virus, but something that's constantly changing and evolving. And that's why we kind of have to treat it as it evolves. So in layman's terms, you can get that shit again. So stop playing. <laughs> Pretty much. PPE on, not P, don't P. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Put your protective gear on and, and make sure that you, you, you're living for other people. Uh, let's take another question. Uh, Pierre Neptune, uh, how bad do you think the spike is going to be? Um, how bad do you think the spike is going to be once people start going back to work and back out to the gym, restaurants, bars, etc.? I think it's going to go up. I actually think that it is going to go up. Um, and I think because we were not prepared in the beginning and we don't know really how to prepare ourselves, um, like these restaurants, like what precautions are they gonna have to take um, at our jobs? What precautions are they gonna take? Like we can kind of, um, like New York City, for instance, um, once people actually start you know, going on public transportation again, um, we're very dense, a very dense city, I think that it it is going to spike. I and according, you know, what Mueller was saying as far as the the strains, it may be a different strain. You know, we don't we don't know. We're still learning. That's that's the problem with this virus. We're learning about it as it goes, and we're trying to keep people as safe as possible. So that's why it's important for everybody to do their duty. So people that's on the front line in these hospitals, they can. Um, try to you know get the data out as fast as possible so they can figure out how to protect more people from getting it all right so let's jump into another question um uh mr russ hamilton he says uh summer camps are now open is it safe to send my kids <laughs> um, would i send my kids no if i had kids yeah. kids are nasty no they don't understand i'm but gonna dig my nose and, oh, I got to wash my hands. No, they're going to touch your face. Hey, mommy. And what do we do? Oh, put yeah. your finger in my mouth. Those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then they're who's really going to be watching your kids um they they can't watch your kids 24 hours of the day so i would tell people you know if you are you need to take precautions you're going to have to try to talk to your kids as much as possible how important it is to wash their hands um you know, and with playing with other kids, it's, it's going to be tough. Like kids don't really get it. Like, why can't I play with this person? You know, and I, I, I don't know how that's going to work, honestly. I'd also um, chime in and say that um, it's what is the summer camp doing to ensure that your child doesn't get the disease? Um, that's another thing we have to assess um, with with you know everything we do nowadays you know what is that summer camp are they taking temperature every morning of every child are they making sure they have hand sanitizer available are they doing the things necessary are they doing activities where it's children can still have fun being six feet apart so um you as a father or as a mother you have to make sure you vet whatever your your kids are going into to make sure they have the proper things to protect your child from getting covid and i think it also depends on the the type of Camp it is I agree. I think each mm -hmm. parent needs to do their homework and evaluate mm -hmm. what's right for your family. Um, I will say as a mom, I have canceled my kids' summer camps because for that reason, I'm not sure that they're able or have a plan in place that's going to protect my child. Even if I mm -hmm. give him the tools to go there, I don't know that they can protect him. So for right now, we're going to find alternatives for our family. And we have to remember, you may be doing what you're supposed to do, but you don't know if the other parents are doing what they're supposed to do, you know? So, Mueller, you were jumping in. No, I was saying to, to, to play, not devil's advocate, but to show people kind of the other side of the, the coin as well, is that it kind of depends on the, the type of camp you have. You know, there's, there's sleepaway camps and there's day camps, right? And I kind of saw a study about like sleepaway camps might actually be kind of safer because of the fact that if all the kids who go to that sleepaway camp get tested and they're tested negatively, including the, the people who run the camp, it's kind of like a social isolation unit for kids, you know? It, it ha it's because we know that this virus passes from person to person. So your child at home exposed to you who may go to the supermarket and may go to things like that, compared to being isolated at the summer camp as a sleepaway camp where nobody really comes to and from that camp, it really kind of depends. You have to like outweigh the, the risks and the benefits. And you have to also like, like was stated before, see the, the safety precautions that the actual camp is taking. But if a camp actually took safety precautions and it was a sleepaway camp, it in theory could be beneficial because it itself is socially distanced from every, everything else that's going on. You know. I don't live in theory. My kids ain't going. We about to move to this. We move into this next. <laughs> All right. So Darren, uh, Darren follows the Eight Black Hands podcast. Darren is one of our Patreon members and like one of our biggest fans uh, at another one of our podcasts. And so he says, uh, "I'm in Utah. I have a I have family and friends who crow on and on about this being one a way to destroy Trump's wonderful economy, two a sham where hospitals are laying off people." Uh, three, no more dangerous than the flu. Um, and uh, this seems to be largely white privilege shouting louder than truth. Uh, but it is uh, exasperating when we see so many people dying as a result of contracting COVID-19 head on or at least COVID being a final push against a person's life. Sorry for the long rant. Thank you. Uh, yo, Darren, it's fine, bro. Um, so how do, how do you guys feel about about um, 
let's take one of these. Uh, you, you feel like COVID was a way to destroy Trump's economy? <laughs> um, I, 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 no, not at all. Um, it couldn't, it couldn't be because the world's economy is, is in the same shambles we're in, you know, it's not like COVID. I, that's all I'm going to say. Being the sole Republican on the podcast, I know it, it, he, he makes life tough. And so we won't, we won't focus on him. We'll, we'll talk about other, we'll, we'll go to uh, other things. All right. It's fine. Um, can I comment to the to the yeah. hospital laying off people part? Mm. Um, I just want to say in my 20 years of nursing and my seven years as a nurse leader, I have never seen this in my life. I have had more agency and travel nurses come from other parts of the country because we could not and still are trying to recover from the efforts to manage this. And it was so just disparaging to hear this politicized and people talk about, you know, whether it was, you know, right, left and Trump and it's a hoax. And until you step foot in the halls of the hospital and you see what's actually going down, you have no idea. Mm. And so hospitals were not benefiting from this. Our organization is $23 million in the hole as a result of this. This was not about a moneymaker at all. So I'm just going to leave that comment there. Wow. All right. Um, okay. So let's jump into a different section. All right. So what will a second wave, uh, and Mueller, you talked about second wave um, earlier, but when I say second wave, meaning that with the level of uh, hospitalizations that took place in the first wave, uh, what is the second wave going to look like? Because they're talking about it's going to be massive uh, hospitalization in the fall. What are you, what are you guys' thoughts? Well, I'll start off by just saying, I think the second wave, how it will look will be depending on how prepared we are. I think that uh, due to how we were affected with the first wave, I think that we'll be more prepared for the second wave. We'll have more PPE available. We'll have like certain guidelines in, in place for social distancing. So I do believe that a second wave is coming. However, I believe that if as long as we stay on top of it, and things keep going the way that they are now, I think that we'll be better prepared for that second wave than we are, um, that we've been for this wave. Okay, anybody else? I can hope that we're gonna be more prepared for it. Um, I think the first time around, we didn't expect it. So we were kind of caught with our pants down. Um, this time around, knowing from the information that's being put out there, um, I think that hospitals are being more prepared. They're, they're making sure that they have more um, beds available in case, um, you know, they're putting certain steps um, in place just in case a second wave does come and it may be bigger or the same as the first wave that came. But I think that the first time we were kind of blinded by it, I think that it was more like, oh, it's over in China and we didn't take it serious like that it was coming to America. Um, so I'm hoping that we will be more prepared for it the next time. Anybody else? Yeah, I think they're, the one good thing that came out of this pandemic is that organizationally hospitals 
had to come up with a solid surge plan for capacity. Mm -hmm. Where are we going to put these people? How are we going to triage them? How are we going to keep them separate? What does our infection control practice look like? And after going through it the first time, we have solid protocols and processes that I think if another wave comes, we can implement them really quickly. So it'll be, we're better prepared for sure. Yeah, I think like you all said, we're, I think we're better prepared. Um, and we also have to take into account um, the other diseases that come in the fall. Um, you have the flu virus, you have more ear infections, you have more strep throat, um, you know, do you have other diseases to worry about as well? So as uh, we're going to be focused on COVID-19, but we also have to make sure we have the um, resources to continue to manage the diseases we've been managing in previous, you know, fall weather. So. Mueller, does he not come off as like, he has like a Kirk type mannerism, right? Like 90. Yeah, I, I, I swear he's reincarnation. <laughs> And then bothers the shit out of me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, for the folks that don't have health insurance and you know Trump is trying to gut Obamacare even in his last five months of being president, he's still trying to gut Obamacare. Uh, mm. For the folks that with no health insurance that are experiencing symptoms, what's your advice to them? I have some, I was going to say, I have some advice that is, you know, I can share on and off the air, you know? <laughs> so if anybody... On the air. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that if you're experiencing symptoms, uh, try to, you know, isolate yourself as, as, as quickly as possible, you know? Uh, reach out. I know it's, I know it's hard because in the, we live in a country that with no health health insurance, you kind of have no access to healthcare. But um, remember that this this uh, disease is a disease that normally is uh, fought off by your own immune system. So even without treatment, you may still be able to beat it. However, if you do have symptoms that are severe enough that causes you to to have to come in, I do I do advise that you still come in into to the hospital. That's all I'm going to comment on. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anybody else? I, I think this is a big problem that's within our community um, and that I've noticed. Um, we don't we get sick and we don't go in because we automatically, oh, I don't have insurance. And something that could have been taken care of and we could have sent you back home on your merry way. Um, now it becomes more uh, life threatening, as we've seen with a lot of these people that have come in um, at a later time where, OK, now I have pneumonia. You know, I can't breathe these kind of symptoms. So I, I would advise people, if you feel that you do have symptoms, to go in. And I, I know a lot of people right now, they are afraid to go into the hospital because now the the new um, the new thing is that if I go in, then I'm gonna get the coronavirus, right? So now they're scared to go into a hospital with any kind of problems that they may have. Instead, they wanna stay outside, but it can be getting worse and we could have helped, you know, when it was at an earlier stage than at a later stage. Right. Yeah, I did read somewhere where um, people that are there are people that are having heart attacks and having like massive <laughs> like system failures, and they're not going to the to the hospital because of their fear for contracting COVID. So yeah, 
Spot on. Anybody else want to jump on this? Yeah, I would just add that, you know, within the hospital, there are support systems available. Mm -hmm. Don't don't stay at home because you don't have insurance. You know, most hospitals are nonprofit. They have to treat you. They have to care for you. There are social workers there that can get you emergency Medicaid to help cover Mm -hmm. if you don't have insurance. And at the end of it, if you have a twenty thousand dollar bill and you say to an organization, I'm going to pay you five dollars a month for the rest of my life, they have to take it. You, yes. you just don't stay home and get sick because you're afraid of, of the debt burden. There's help there. Five dollars is way too much. One dollar. <laughs> you have to take it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So 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 thank you guys so much for coming on and uh spreading wisdom to uh to the followers, to the people that are listening to the broadcast. Um we'll go around with final thoughts in terms of just like COVID in the in, in our community. Um We'll start with the youngsters. Uh, Kwame. I'll start. Yeah, I'll start. Um, so kind of take home points um, of um, what we have today is just to stay, stay vigilant. Stay, um, stay aware of what's going on. Um, you know, try to definitely keep precaution and do your best to ensure that um, you're keeping others around you safe. Um Wear your protective masks. Wear your um. Do your do your um hand sanitizing. If you have any symptoms, like we said, even if you don't have insurance, get tested. The testing they don't even ask you for insurance when you're getting tested. Um. So those those are my final thoughts. And um and Black Lives Matter. Keep let's keep protesting. Let's keep you know trying to um, make a greater change in our community. Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you. Um, I would say that the best treatment, of course, is prevention. So take take COVID uh, seriously, but not only as a, a disease itself, but to shine light on the health that you have in general. T- to pay attention to your to your blood pressure. You know, get your hemoglobin A1C checked once in a while. Like take care. Make sure you take care of your health, so that when we get to diseases like this you're not somebody that's more vulnerable to, to catching that disease, you know? I'd rather prevent you from ever getting the disease than have to treat you once you have the disease. So I would say when we're in between pandemics or we're in between these cases, like the same way that we stand up and we protest and we fight for the rights of, against police brutality and things like that, also be that active on, on getting on fighting those health disparities in our community, you know? Fighting for equal justice when it comes to healthcare and, and insurance. Like, let's never give up that fight because all those things are in, intertwined. All that systematic racism is intertwined. And as we fight that, we can start to pretty much solve all the problems that we have in our community. Appreciate you, bro. Sapase to the Zos. Amy. Hi. So, uh, First of all, thank you to all our frontline healthcare workers. I'd be remiss closing this out without saying um, that I was just moved by the compassion and the teamwork and the way that that community came together uh, during such a difficult time. Home and you're doing the right thing and social distancing and wearing your masks. Um, I know that it's inconvenient 
And ultimately, it's really, it's not about any one person. It's not about you. I hear people say, well, I'm healthy. Why should I wear a mask? Because it's not about you. It's about everybody around you. And if everybody did the right thing, washed their hands, wore their masks, stayed apart while we get through this, then we'll get through it quicker and we'll have less of a surge. And one last thing that's a pet peeve, please don't wear gloves. Don't wear gloves out in the community. You don't need them. Just wash your hands, please. You touch things and then you, oh, that's it. Don't wear gloves. They're not for you. <laughs> Appreciate you. Uh, Doc, close us out. I just want to echo a little bit of what everybody said. And thank you, Ray, for um, having this and inviting me. Um, we do have to worry about our communities, everyone. Um, there are a lot of underlying health issues that we do have. We need to exercise more and get out there. We need to worry about our health, eat properly. Within our communities, we need to do more that we can have healthier food because all of these things can give us a, a stronger system so that we can fight different diseases, viruses, what have you, that may that we may encounter. But at least we'll have a, a fighting chance. Um, everybody, same thing. Try to um, still keep six feet apart if you can. Um, wash your hands. Wash the goods that you bring in your house. It's a lot, but just until we get through this and we can honestly figure out what's going on, what is this novel virus, what does everything that it has to offer and how we can really combat it um, and stay safe. You know, continue to fight. Um, this fight is also for our, our health where it's all part of it. So everybody stay safe. And once again, thank you. No doubt. So you guys have been listening to another episode of the uh, Educators podcast. I appreciate you guys for listening. Oh, uh, we got I think we got two more comments. Uh All right, let's just get to them. Um so uh Takira says um with the government trying to expedite COVID-19 treatment, how can we ensure the safety of the vaccine, Tuskegee? Uh and how do we how do we convince our community that this this may need this may be a needed precaution to take? That's a great question uh, to hear. I'm glad that I came back and continued this on because my final thought was going to be a doozy. But uh, if you if you guys want to jump in on this, no, no, no uh -huh. See, the thing with the vaccine is that usually vaccines take a, a lot longer for us to. Um, to do research on them, but not only that, not knowing. So a bigger problem that we have is, are we gonna get this virus again? Because if we get the virus again, and it's the same strand that we can, meaning that our body cannot fight against it, then the vaccine would mean absolutely nothing, right? So I think that <clears throat> right now we have to honestly figure out more about the 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 virus itself um the vaccine coming up they're still doing lots of trials on it they're trying to come up with something for the fall and i guess we won't really know how effective it really is until that time comes um i don't know what really else to say about that <laughs> yeah 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 that's a tough one um, so, because um, oh, sorry, but um, these are things you know. These are things we fight with ourselves, you know. Because um, when a vaccine comes out, me being from the prof the health professional standpoint, I know what a vaccine is. But that's because we've gone through schooling. We know, you know, how the vaccine works. As for the layperson, 
um, they just know that if they get the vaccine, they might actually be getting the disease, which is which is not true. Um, a vaccine is meant for your um, immune system to have some type of recognition of the um, the strain of the disease, so that if they actually get the disease, they know how to fight it. You know, your 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 body builds up memory um, to the disease once you get the vaccine. Um, as far as us getting the COVID vaccine, like Dr. Munday said, it's gonna take some time for the vaccine to become developed. Um, now, when that becomes developed, we're gonna have to look at the side effects of the vaccine. Um, we're gonna have to see if those people that might have allergies to the vaccine might not be able to get it. So there's many things as far as um, what's going to happen when the vaccine comes out. And if it does come out, um, I'd say listen to your doctor and get the vaccine because you know, what we're trying to do is trying to contain the disease. We're trying to stop it from getting, you know, worse than what it is or it becoming a different strain that we, we might never have a vaccine for. Makes sense. Um, all right. So we had one more question. Uh, this is from uh, L. Michelle Johnson, Miss Johnson. She's also um, an avid follower of our Eight Black Hands podcast. And so uh, she says, uh, how do we ensure that workers are being responsible outside of work how can you protest on Friday and then go back as an aide at a nursing home on Monday? I'll, I'll take that one and start it off. Um, you know, I have a lot of employees, nurses, aides that, you know, what they do on their time is what they do on their time. And I can't govern or dictate to them uh, how to live their lives outside of the organization. Um, all I can do, we, we monitor their temperature when they come into work. We know we ask them to monitor their own symptoms um, and to do the right thing while they're at work. But people do have to live their lives outside of work and we can't tell them how to do that. The majority of those who do work in the hospital or in a nursing home or in healthcare, you know, we've seen this virus and we've seen what it's done to patients. And I can only assume that the majority are taking every precaution to protect themselves because they've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. We're good. All right. So we cleared out the questions. So y'all can never say that I didn't get to y'all's questions and I didn't get to y'all's comments because I did. Um, and yeah, thank you for your uh, for this wonderful panel coming in and, and, and talking about COVID in the black community. I appreciate you guys. So again, you guys have been listening to uh, the Edge Pierce podcast. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Stay safe. Be well. Stay safe. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Ray. <laughs>